Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and today my guest is someone who uh, traditionally isn't in the crowdfunding space because that's normally where we cover most of what we talk about. But instead, Steve is a, uh, in a topic that I have found interesting throughout my career, and I thought that you would find interesting well as well. My guest is Steve Schillingford from Anonymy. Steve, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Richard. So we're here to talk about, uh, one, is you got my attention because The Circle is coming out. This is a movie with Tom Hanks and uh, Emma... Uh, Emma Watson, I always want to say Emma Stone, Emma Watson, who's coming out, about employee personal surveillance, that type of thing. Steve, you have a personal interest in this because of the background that you've done with your corporate um, experience. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about your background and kind of what, what has brought you to this point? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Thanks for asking. I, uh, I've been in enterprise security, identity management, cybersecurity for 20 years. And the last company I had was a cybersecurity company that uh, specialized in surveillance. And so we spent a lot of time uh, providing that software to big governments and big corporations. And I s- sort of you know, lived on the dark side. I had a security clearance and, and saw a lot of interesting and um, troubling sort of uses uh, over the years. And at the end of that story, we ended up selling that company to a, uh, uh, a software company in the Bay Area called Blue Coat Systems. And I wanted to sort of do something different. And I felt the need to kind of shift the power dynamic back to the consumer or the end user because I just felt like, and I had a hand in this, but I just felt like things had gotten a little bit out of control and imbalanced. So we, uh, I started a company back in 2014 called Anonymy Labs. Uh, We started building products for consumers that gave them more control over their personal information. And it was really about uh, sort of that um, mindset that I also read The Circle about the same time. And I was sort of struck by, wow, not only is this a great read, but it's not that far-fetched. And And it really kind of got my attention well, that brings up a good point because Go it is the circle that kind of has uh, that when the circle came out, um, Eggers wrote that it, it talks about a world of, of benevolent surveillance in some ways is, is kind of how it starts off with, as you said it, if Google and Facebook got together and had a baby, um, th- that's what we're kind of seeing here is, is not only is it external, but it's also internal. That employees are expected to participate in online socials. Every activity they do is tracked both offline and um, online, and so that's kind of where this this genesis of this idea came from. That hey, this is headed in a direction that's probably going to be taking away more and more of the of the rights of employees and individuals. And I think that's kind of where we we got to here was with the circle. Is it? And then you, some people, I have to say, some people have brought it to me and said, "Oh my gosh, we should stop everything we're doing, stop any executives being on social, stop participating in Facebook because the circle shows us just how bad it's going to get." Is it that bad? Well, I'm not sure what benevolent. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure what that word means in this context. What, sure. Okay. What, what, what I know, and and certainly, you know, we've all read Huxley and Orwell, and we sort of know the dystopic end. But but I I know that in a world where we're sort of very um, socially and personally motivated to put a lot of ourselves uh, online, whether it's social media, whether it's 
you know, Internet of Things where my thermostat and my cameras all sort of uh, uh, track and record my life. I, I also know there's this other um, and, and they may not even realize it, but there's this other sentiment, and I like to call it the Snapchat generation, because w- whether you agree with actually the implementation or not, I think Snapchat was brilliant in uh, uh, capturing that notion of not everything that I do online should be forever, you know, this notion of ephemerality. And I think what what's really concerning is not, gosh, we shouldn't be online and we shouldn't sort of be normal participants in the digital world, which is kind of reality, Right. It's, it's that we don't control that information once it leaves our device or once it leaves um, you know, our sort of sphere of influence. And I think the, the troubling thing about the circle and anything else is you know, b- benevolent surveillance can turn into sort of malicious surveillance very quickly and very easily. And the, the choices that we get today are not choices where we, we sort of are able to say, hey, I want that information out there for a period of time, or I want to be able to delete it, or uh, uh, at least control how it's shared. And I think that's the tension that you're seeing. And, and you're seeing it play out in different ways. In Europe, it's the right to be forgotten. In uh, the U.S., it's sort of a, a funny tension slash cooperation between like the government and places like the FTC and the actual, if you will, um, data miners, right? The Facebooks and the Googles of the world. Right. Because we're, we're kind of in an interesting, it's a bit ironic that the country that's known for land of the free gives away, basically enslaves some of that data without the control versus Europe, which you said the, the right to be forgotten. Is it, is it really feasible for us to now to say, hey, there is something that we can do because it has become so pervasive. We've given up this access piece by piece willingly or unwillingly, but it doesn't seem that any – you know, in the security space, oftentimes one of the biggest challenges you have is getting anybody to care. And I'm not talking about companies and their, and their data uh, that they're trying to protect, but I'm talking about individuals, as you were saying. Individuals just don't seem to care. Yeah, I, I think – you know, first of all, I don't think there's a um, there's no destination here, right? Uh, we've got privacy now; we can move on. Um, but I definitely think there's a hygiene moment, and okay. I also think I also think that there uh, there is a latent sentiment, especially when you look at research from you know reputable firms like Pew. Uh, people do care about how their information is mined, not so much from let's say big government but absolutely from big data they know they're out there on advertisers lists and they're being sold and resold uh, and that's troubling to them and so you know what what me and other people are sort of trying to advocate is not so much that we don't participate in that world but that the techniques and the um, maybe the habits that we formed can be subtly changed and I'll give you one example. Perfect. You know, we are very, very fr- freely willing to give out a mobile number, you know, whether it's, a, you know, to, to get that loyalty at the Safeway store, um, to register uh, for an app that you downloaded from the store. But what I think people don't realize is the mobile number is actually more valuable and more sort of revealing than your social security number. Uh, it is, you know, attached to a lot of things that you do online. And I think, you know, one way to just think about how you reduce your digital exhaust is to have an alternative to a mobile number that's, 
you know, not costly. I'm not saying get a second number or a burner number, but there are lots of choices out there where you can get a voiceover IP number. It's just an app, sits on your phone, even Skype offers you some of this, where you can use that number, which has less of a tie, less of a history, certainly less of a footprint than your mobile number, which, you know, if you're a person of a certain age, myself, you've got, you've had your mobile number for over a decade. Right. And that thing builds a long and, and very detailed sort of dossier on everything you've ever done, everywhere you've ever been. Whereas, you know, a, a portable number, uh, uh, a flexible number where you can add or delete at any time still allows you to get those Safeway loyalty points or register for that app, but doesn't carry all the baggage. Well, g- great point. So anonymity um, and the initiative that you're pushing here is to take some steps, some basic steps that a person can say and change, as you said, some of their habits to be able to prevent themselves from starting to be part of this accumulation of of tracking that you've said, this digital baggage that started to, to carry over with your cell phone or other activities. I know that you've got a couple of key things. This is a perfect example of, ones, uh, of one. Certain things that the listeners can do to actually start to change those habits to protect themselves a little bit from being able to be exploited or taken advantage of or protect their data in some way. And you had mentioned that you had a couple of those. Yeah, sure. So so certainly, uh, there, there are a few very obvious things, and I'm not going to be so trite as to say change your passwords or make them super long, complicated, because I think that's actually useless. I think you should you should uh, definitely be um, considered about how you hand out your mobile number. And there are lots of alternatives out there. Um, we happen to have one, but we're not the only one out there. So you should always think twice whether you're dating, whether you're registering. Um, or whether you're just buying a car. Okay, so hang right? on. There are lots of reasons not so, to provide that. So you've said you have one of those. You're talking about Anonymy has the ability for me to have an alternative mobile number type concept? We we do. We have an app in the App Store today called PseudoApp. Um, it's, it's available to you to download. When you download it, we literally know nothing about you. We don't ask you to register. Uh, and within about you know 30 seconds, you can have one or many numbers or phone or uh, email addresses to sort of, you know, do what I'm describing. But, but I think there are other things you can do that, you know, don't even require, um, you know, a special app. I mean, and there are things, uh, two factor authentication is something that people normals don't necessarily think about. Let's, but, let's talk about that because two factor authentication is something that's becoming much more, um, available and common. But for my listeners, let's explain real quick what that means. Two factor authentication. Sure. So if you're an Apple user, uh, you, you have the option uh, in your Apple ID settings to go in and just basically enable what's called two-factor authentication. And all that means is when you log in with your Apple ID over the web or you know, through one of your devices, uh, Apple will send a different device a text with a, you know, I think it's a four or six-digit code, which you then have to type into the device you're trying to log in from, which just guarantees that if someone, for, for whatever reason, and we all know about the iCloud hack that happened several years ago to some celebs, for whatever reason someone gets hold of your username and password, you will be alerted to an unauthorized login. And this is, this is just a great way to sort of keep tabs on any potential you know, unauthorized access. It's very easy. Apple's done a great job. Of, of making it um, super simple. And I think when you see someone like Apple with, you know, a billion users, 
I think you're going to see a lot of other mainstream apps follow suit. Got it. Because I'm aware that Google is doing it, and a lot more of those are popping up where it's like, okay, I'm going to use that two-step authentication. And what you're telling our our listeners is, is that it might feel inconvenient to have to do that, but the simple changing of your behavior and putting that in place goes a long way to protecting your identity with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I can remember, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I'm old enough to remember when the alarm on your car didn't go off when you didn't have your seatbelt right. uh, enabled, if you remember that. Yeah. Like you could just drive around with no seatbelt. Today you can't do that because there's a constant dinging in your car. And, you know, this is just one of those things where oh, I don't want to wear a seatbelt. Um, there's, you, you know, you could argue it might be uncomfortable or whatever, but it literally takes, you know, five extra seconds to enable that. And there's a long-term payoff. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about is this is, this is a little bit of a, you know, small change in behavior and not, not even necessarily an inconvenience that can provide long-term big, you know, big benefits down the road. Okay. So the, there's a mobile number change. There's a, Setting up two-factor two authentication. What else we got out there? Yeah, I think the other thing that, that we, we – you know, and this is just more of a habit um, more than anything else is, you know, many people uh, have a sort of compartmentalized approach to email. So I'm guessing you have kind of an email account that you use for personal, you know, family and friends, trading pictures, talking about plans over the holidays, whatever – Right, and uh, we uh, tend to sort of keep that um, organized to our inner circle, and then we have these other circles that are sort of, you know, uh, by the way, no pun intended here, but we have these other circles of influence uh, that, whether they're coworkers, whether they're you know people that we're emailing about because we want to sell a couch on Craigslist or buy a car or, you know, we're looking to buy a home, and then we've got sort of the stuff that we sign up for, whether we bought something on on uh, a specific site and we want to get their newsletter. We didn't know we signed up for that. Right. Uh, people are, people are definitely using uh, this compartmentalized strategy of multiple email accounts uh, to manage this. I think that's a great idea. And I think we do it subconsciously because it's something that um, allows us to sort of feel like we're in control of how our information is being passed along. I think that is a wonderful strategy for sort of trying to reduce your footprint um, online. So thinking very carefully about that inner circle email address, you know, that is something that you don't give out willingly. And that is something that you try to, you know, protect and build that kind of virtual moat around. And then, you know, using your Yahoo address because you know they're going to get it anyway. Right. right? right. <laughs> whatever. Or whatever service of the day that's been hacked. I believe they're called Oath now, which is another scary name. But I think uh, the, the, the idea here is the compartmentalization is, a, is, a, is a, just another way to kind of control. Is it extra work to have multiple email accounts? Maybe. But I think people are already doing it, at least you know, a lot of people that I know who aren't technically sophisticated. And you know, none of these people care about encryption. None of these people want to have a, what's called a public or private key process that they have to manage because it's really not something that they think about what they expect is are the channels secure is their data secure do they have control over that or does the firm have control over that and if you can kind of move through that without getting into the details of the technology i think that's a great start towards taking more control over your personal sort of digital world i find those very useful uh the email one because the ability whether it's you're using a, an email like google or yahoo where you can actually 
have all of that come to a central location. So it becomes much more easier. And even on your phone, right? Your, your phone has that ability to receive multiple email th- accounts that come in and then send from those different accounts. Makes it very easy to keep those emails compartmentalized, as you've said. Right. Okay. So as we, as we kind of wrap up here in the last couple of minutes, I, uh, one of the things I want to ask though is, is that the next, this younger generation, you know, my kid, I got five daughters and they're, they vary in age from in their late twenties to teenager years. And the younger ones, you go to send them something and they're like, dad, I don't have an email address, right? That their life isn't tied to this concept of email. It is literally all online and there's no, the, no right. none of this communication. Is there uh, this online presence, though? I mean, email is not really going to solve that. And are our younger generation giving up so much of, of their personal life because they're just unaware of that legacy that when they get older, they're going to regret that? Yeah, I, I think uh, that's an interesting question. Here, here's what I've um, seen, both as someone who's hired a lot of these kind of folks and in, in coming out of college – um, and also, you know, I've got two teenagers myself. I, I think that going back to the Snapchat analogy, I think that there's a, if you think about how we meet people in the offline world, um, you and I meet in a coffee shop. I don't immediately ask you for your birthday, gender, um, address or mother's maiden name, right? We, we sort of make those decisions based on how we feel, what our thin slice is of the other person. And, and we make decisions over time about how much or how little to share. I think, the people who do Snapchat know that I don't want this text to be there forever. I want it to be a moment in time and then I don't want it to be around to be stored on someone's cloud or someone's server and then be passed along, you know, when I'm 29 trying to get a job at Goldman Sachs. I think that the generation has definitely been raised with screens and they've definitely been shaped to sort of, you know, put information out there. But I also think they know intuitively that some information is meant to be permanent and other information is not. And I see this all the time with people, quote unquote, detoxing their Facebook page or having multiple Instagram accounts or, you know, using Snapchat as a sort of first line filter for people they meet and potentially date. So I think uh, uh, while that generation may not say that they care about, quote unquote, privacy, I do think they care about their information. I just think they manage it differently. And I think what we're, you know, what we're trying to do and what I'm trying to sort of uh, raise awareness on is um, totally get it. Uh, each generation has its own kind of comfort, but we should all collectively be concerned about permanence, right? We should be collectively concerned about the stuff we do when we're 21 affecting our credit score when we're 41. And that, you know, applies to anybody. It does. And I think that's that's really, you know, some of the theme and, and some of the hopefully um, – thought that will uh stay with folks after they see the movie i think you know the the next step is you know okay what do i do about it which is always the uh million dollar question but i think this movie is going to be a great kind of catalyst to get people to really think about the implications of this not that surveillance is bad and the government wants to you know subvert you it's more about just this idea of everything being out there forever and what does that mean down the road as I change and, 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 uh, you know, evolve. Steve, thank you very much for being on the show. If people want to get more information, particularly about uh, what anonymy is doing, how can they find out? You know, the easy URL URL is pseudo app. That's S U D O app, all one word.com. Perfect. Steve, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Richard.
You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Steve Schillingford, who is with Anonymy, talking about personal security and personal risk and how you can protect that data. We've learned a few things that I've actually taken away. I hopefully, hopefully you have as well. Thanks for listening. Take care.